0: Let us pray. Dear God, your son came announcing that the kingdom is touchable, is at hand. But in order for us to be able to participate in it, we first have to be able to see it. And so we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Unlock our minds, expand our hearts, and we pray this through Christ, amen. So last week I shared with all of you about my uh, little pilgrimage to Graceland 30 years ago. To the mansion of Elvis Presley in Memphis, Tennessee. Back in 1986, I was inspired by a song called Graceland on Paul's album of the same name. I had reason to believe that I would be received in Graceland. And I was. <laughs> And as those of you who were with us last Sunday know, my visit was a complete and utter disappointment. 23 lavish rooms filled with gaudy chandeliers, garish art, indoor waterfalls, and velour drapes. If you're into velour drapes, go to Graceland. And I also shared with you that over the years... Graceland has become for me one of my favorite word pictures, word pictures for imagining and for being able to see the kingdom of God to which Jesus has invited each and every one of us here this morning. Not an estate in Memphis, Tennessee, but God's realm of grace the world around. The world around. Graceland. As we heard last Sunday, Jesus comes preaching a very simple, but a most urgent message. Repent, turn, and enter the kingdom of Of God. Or if you want to put this in modern language, defect. Defect from the Roman Empire's toxic brew of hatred and lust and racism and greed and violence and migrate over into Graceland. Into God's liberating Barrier-breaking, domination-shattering, reconciling reign of God. Graceland, where everything is a gift and everybody's a neighbor. This past week, I found myself wondering, you know, if Jesus were... Proclaiming the kingdom here today, would he even mention the kingdom of God? You know, he would certainly most, he would most certainly talk about the reality of God's reign. But wouldn't he probably use more contemporary images to connect with our time and our context? I've come to believe that it is the task of every generation to translate our Lord's core message in ways that catch its original relevance and electricity. You with me? When Jesus spoke those words, they had a charge. (laughs) They were shocking. Martin Luther King, for example, in the 60s, called God's kingdom the beloved community. Isn't that beautiful? The beloved community. More recently, some have called God's kingdom the divine insurgency. The worldwide web of God the kingdom kingdom the family of god and some have even begun talking about the empire of god turning the other empire upside down so friends what would your new living translation for this alternate but very real reality be For us in 2017, what would it be? Jesus often turns to parables to fire up our imaginations and help us to be able to see God's very real but alternate reality. It's right here with us, before us, but we often miss it. He knows that for us to be able first to see this reality or for us to be able to participate in it, we're going to have to be able to see it first. And so he tells us stories to open up our minds. And last Sunday, we heard Jesus tell us a very startling, troubling, disorienting story about an amazingly forgiving king. Remember that guy? and an amazingly unforgiving servant. The kingdom, Jesus was telling us, is a realm of forgiveness beyond all calculation. In the kingdom, there's no statute of limitations on grace. And today, lo and behold... Our Lord Jesus is telling us another startling story about Graceland, God's upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom, where the powerful and the important in this world, who are they? They're all going to come in last. And all the small and the insignificant folks, who are they? They're all going to be given front row seats. Pastor writer Nadia Bolz Weber, and I just was very excited to see yesterday that Parish Resource Center is going to be bringing her to Lancaster next April. She says that we are making a huge mistake when we call this the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Which I have always done. <laughs> no, 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 she says. This is the parable of the landowner. It's not about us. It's about God. What makes this vineyard the kingdom of God, she says, is not the worthiness or the piety or the social justiciness or the hard work of the laborers. No, none of this matters, she says. What really matters is the way the landowner keeps on going back, back to the marketplace He keeps going back and back and back and back looking for more workers. Did you notice that? In fact, the landowner goes back five times in all. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 5 o'clock. And significantly... That very last crew that he hires includes everyone else, or everybody that everyone else has ignored and excluded and forgotten. He brings them all in. Now, note that our eccentric landowner seems a whole lot more concerned about people and a living wage, you notice that, a fair wage, then his own grapes, <laughs> which uh, never even get mentioned. The great drama of this story, of course, begins at pay time. <laughs> and I was remembering when I was a high schooler, you know, payday it's an exciting day, isn't it? And the owner tells his manager, To pay all of his workers, beginning with the five o'clockers. They're each given a handsome silver denarius coin. It's a fair wage for a day, but let me tell you, it is a mint for an hour's work. (laughs) It's a mint. And those who arrived earlier now are doing some quick math (laughs) and are figuring that they're all in for a windfall many, many times greater. But when the manager presses only the same silver coin into their palms, they are completely shocked dismayed. Their fair wage now seems like highway robbery. And they blow a gasket and they complain to the owner, how could you make these five o'clockers equal to us? To which the owner replies, come on, have I treated you unfairly? Can I do what I choose to do with what belongs to me? I mean, really? Are you offended by my generosity? Do you find that offensive? Back in the 90s, when I was, uh, first coming back to God after a long detour, not to Tarshish, but to other places, I loved this story. I loved this parable of Jesus. I knew that I did not deserve my free ticket into Graceland. I knew that if God's grace were ever fair, I'd never have received it. But it's so easy to celebrate the wideness of God's mercy when we're on the receiving end, isn't it? Amen? God's grace is so amazing when we get it. But the real test comes when we see God extending that very same mercy to other undeserving people? Just ask Noah, or just ask Jonah, excuse me. In our other story, to Jonah, the Ninevites aren't just some random group of godless pagan Gentiles. They are the very people whose Assyrian empire has recently annihilated 10 of Israel's 12 tribes. That's who the Ninevites are. And so after Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh, after his wail of a detour, he's more than thrilled and happy To tell everyone in Nineveh that in 40 days they will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Sound familiar? But then with great chagrin, the Ninevites actually repent and turn from their evil and violent ways. The Lord hears their cry just as the Lord recently heard someone else's cry from the belly of a whale. Moved by their fasting and repentance, God's anger melts away. As God so poignantly says elsewhere in Scripture, Ezekiel 33, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desire that the wicked would turn, 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 turn toward me and away from their wicked ways and live. And after God turns Nineveh, into Graceland. It's Jonah's turn now to blow a gasket. I just knew. I knew it. I knew it. you were going to be gracious. You're going to be merciful. You were going to be slow to anger. I knew that you were going to be abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from your punishing. That's why I took that boat to Tarshish in the first place. Jonah reminds me of the older brother of the prodigal son who sullenly stands outside the house while everybody else is inside celebrating. Jonah even asked God twice, did you hear that? Twice to put him out of his misery. Because you see, after Nineveh, Jonah is not sure that he can ever trust God not to be merciful again. After Nineveh, Jonah's not sure if he can ever trust God not to be God, God's self, again. Back in our uh, uh, vineyard story, it's really important to notice that Jesus tells this parable not to the crowds but to his disciples, to his long-time followers. This is a message for the church. And he's responding to Peter, who just earlier in Matthew 19 asks Jesus, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we now get? What's in it for us? And I wonder isn't Peter's mindset which is that of a wage earner getting what he deserves and has earned common to all of us especially 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 in the church I mean my goodness after all of our years of hard work after all of our years of faithful servant or service isn't it easy simply to regard God's gifts now as our fair wages and our just deserts? But when we do this, we check ourselves right out of Graceland. Because you see, from God's perspective, we are all Five o'clockers. You see, before the cross of Jesus, we all stand on level ground. Grace can never be achieved, it can only be received. And when we finally get this reality, we start to realize that maybe the landowner doesn't have all the latecomers paid first, in order to teach everyone else a lesson, but so that we'll all be around to celebrate God's generosity. (laughs) So that when these incredulous, astonished five o'clockers receive God's grace, we can joyfully say to them, welcome to Graceland. This is the way it is here. This is the way it is with God. In closing, let us remember again what we've been trying to wrap our minds around these past couple Sundays our Lord Jesus comes proclaiming a very simple but oh-so-challenging message. Repent and enter and receive the kingdom of God. Defect defect from the American empire's toxic brew of hatred, of white supremacy, of lust, of greed and violence and migrate into the liberating, domination-shattering, reconciling reign of God. Graceland. Where everything's a gift and everybody's a neighbor. And where the church and where East Chestnut is meant to be Exhibit A. This coming week, I'd like to, uh, leave you all with a challenge. I'd like to ask all of us to invite the Holy Spirit to take, to guide us to take some startling kingdom action that allows some other five o'clocker to experience Graceland themselves what might that be it might be uh, forgiving a huge debt extending undeserved forgiveness maybe writing someone a letter maybe defending and standing with a vulnerable person who might this five o'clock or be in your life? And what are you to do? Let me tell you, if you listen, if you listen, the Holy Spirit will surely show you who and show you how. Dear friends, have we entered Graceland yet? It's the real world, where the more grace we receive, the more grace we share, the more grace we need, the more grace we're given, until we're all completely caught up in God's great cosmic cycle of healing, salvation, and mercy. Amen.